Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of VI Shots. My name is Michael Ivaliotis, and this is the podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well, thank you for joining me today for the second episode of the VI Shots podcast. Um, coming up uh, in this show, we have an interview that I did with uh, Darren Nattinger of National Instruments. He discusses some of the tips and tricks that he uses to speed up LabVIEW code development. If that interests you, then please stick around. But first of all, before we get into that, uh, I'd like to thank all the listeners uh, so far to this podcast. It's been uh, a difficult start because I wasn't sure if uh, there were any listeners out there. But if you are out there and you like what you're hearing, uh, please leave a comment on the VI Shots website for this show. Or even if you don't like what you hear, I want to hear that too. If you'd like to send an email directly to myself, you can send it to feedback at vishots.com. I'd also like to thank all the uh, people who participated on our Facebook page and, uh, and made the page one of their liked pages. I'd like to thank you for that. Uh, as of this as of this post, we have 107 likes, which is just great. Also, since the first episode aired, I have put up two LabVIEW tutorial videos, which are also available on the VI Shots site. One of the videos shows you how to separate compile code from your VIs. This is a new feature in LabVIEW 2010, and how you can use this effectively to improve your source code control integration with LabVIEW. The other tutorial talks about how to do hardware emulation using LabVIEW classes, and this is something that I use uh, almost every day in my projects, so hopefully this will help you uh, in your development. For those of you that want to listen to the podcast through uh, your iPod or some other electronic device, uh, I'd like to let you know that uh, the VI Shots podcast is now available on iTunes, so you can do go on to iTunes uh, and uh, do a search for VI Shots and it should come right up. We're also available on the Zune podcast network if you have a Zoom device. And we're also, uh, also uh, BlackBerry users have an application uh, that uh, listen, that accesses podcasts. And we're actually registered on there as well. So if you have the BlackBerry um, podcasting application, you should be able to find VI Shots on there as well. One last thing before we get into the interview, I'd like to apologize for the audio quality, uh, especially on my end of the microphone, for the interview that you're about to hear. There is some static uh, on my side, and that's definitely something I'm working on uh, eliminating for future episodes. Uh, so if, if you are annoyed by the static, I apologize, and uh, it'll be eliminated uh, moving forward. Having said that, uh, let's get into the interview. So on our show today, we have Darren Nettinger from National Instruments. He's a senior software engineer and a certified LabVIEW architect. Is actually it's actually an honor to have Darren on the show because he's probably one of the fastest LabVIEW programmers I know. He has pretty fast fingers, and also I believe Darren, you've you've proven this in in a competition at uh, National Instruments uh, at at an iWeek, correct? Yes, uh, for three years in a row, I've won the uh, LabVIEW coding challenge. Actually, and this is this is uh, it's not an official tournament type challenge, but it's something that National Instruments puts out every NI week, and I think you've been the winner at every every year. You you're uh, famous for 
you know, pushing sort of the productivity and development speed in LabVIEW. So you're, you're pretty adamant about coding fast. And you've, you've come up with a couple of tips and tricks that you use yourself to be able to code faster. Could you uh, go through some of those with us? Sure. So at this year's NI Week, NI Week 2010, I gave a presentation outlining a lot of the daily features and tips that I use uh, programming in LabVIEW, just things I use every single day, multiple times a day that I think really help contribute to increasing my programming speed. One of those, obviously, is Quick Drop. Everybody, everybody knows that that's my baby in LabVIEW. Uh, another one is, uh, I, I believe I mentioned four in that presentation. Quick Drop was the first. Another one is the Auto Tool. I'm a very big fan of, of letting the Auto Tool choose uh, the right tool for me as I'm mousing around it. I think it's much faster than tabbing between uh, tools manually. Another feature that I use on a daily basis is the new icon editor in LabVIEW. In addition to some of the usability enhancements that it has, uh, like being able to create text-based icons very quickly, one of the things that I really like to use in conjunction with the icon editor is most of my VIs and my projects are in libraries and classes. So since my libraries and classes all have a predefined banner on the icon of those libraries and classes, when I create a new VI, it's already got the right banner. All I have to do is go in and, and edit the text in the icon that I, that I need to change. So um, a new VI's icon takes maybe two or three seconds for me to create just because of, you know, having those, those things in place. Some people might not know this, but so the new LabVIEW icon editor, do you remember when that was introduced? It was in LabVIEW 2009. So that, that has a feature, a new feature with, uh, with layers. So how, how do you use exactly, do you create your own templates, sort of predefined layers? So when you program, when you use uh, libraries or classes, uh, when you set up an icon for that library, uh, that is, that's the default layer for your icon. So whenever you create a new VI under that library, the, uh, the library layer has already been applied to the icon. And if you're just uh, creating a text-based icon for your VI, the library layer is, layer is already there, and typically that's a banner. And so then I just fill in the, the lines of text on the, uh, the icon text tab in the icon editor and then I'm done. I don't have to touch any layering stuff because the that library layer has, has already been applied. You also mentioned the auto tool. Can you explain a little bit more about what, what you like about the auto tool? So the auto tool's actually been around for a long time. It, out of the uh, the features that I discussed in my NI Week presentation, it was probably the oldest feature. It's been around since LabVIEW 6.1, and I actually learned LabVIEW in version 5.0. So I, I programmed in, in multiple versions without the auto tool. And when it came out, it, the the selling point for it was basically that the the tools that you that you need to tab through when you're manually tabbing through tools, the operate tool, the positioning tool, the wiring tool, uh, the whole you know draw of the auto tool is that as you must over certain regions of the diagram, it would figure out for you which one of those tools you wanted to use. And um, unfortunately, when the feature first came out, it wasn't very good at guessing. I mean, I got, it, it guessed right some of the time, but certainly not all the time. But I noticed that with each LabVIEW release, 7.0, whatever heuristics we used under the hood to make those decisions got better and better. And now I think it, it's, it's perfect. I mean, the, the selections that it makes are exactly what I know and what I'm expecting. And as a result, my, my left hand is, is free to do uh, you know, quick drop or control E, control N, just all the all the keyboard shortcuts that I use. 
uh, without ever having to go over to the tab key to switch between tools. Yeah, one th one thing I find, well, I'm kind of used to it now, but as as a new user using the um, the auto tool, I think one of the difficulties is on the front panel or sometimes on the diagram, but just selecting an object and moving it is a little bit of a challenge because you have to actually position your mouse cursor or mouse pointer, uh, I should say, right right at the border of the control, right? Because if you push it, if you move it to the inside of the control, then it becomes sort of either, you know, text entry or button press or whatever. But if you want to move it, like grab it and move it, then you actually have to put it right at the border to select it. So that could be a bit of a challenge sometimes. I agree. For a new user, I could definitely see that being an issue. I Let's see, I, I think 6.1 came out about eight years ago, and I've been using the auto tool ever since then. So I, I, I know what you're talking about, but I, my hands just naturally go to those those locations that I know for, for positioning in particular to get the auto tool to pick the right thing. Right. Another, another thing we could mention as well is if you want to select something, you can also sort of click and drag around it, create like a, a dotted box, and then it'll just grab the control as well that way. Yes. Oh, one other thing I just thought of uh, to mention about the auto tool is when, when you are having those difficulties, uh, there's a tools option setting that locks the auto tool. And I actually have that disabled because on the rare occasion where I do want to manually tab uh, to another tool, I, I don't want LabVIEW to prevent me from doing so. So I have the auto tool lock turned off and I'll tab to a tool I need every once in a while. Um, but uh, there's a keyboard shortcut that's if you have tabbed away from the auto tool, if you press shift tab, it'll switch back to the auto tool. So I just wanted to mention that real quick. We do we do have an out whenever we occasionally do need to move away from using the auto tool. Um, so what other, what other tips do you have for speeding up your development? During my NI Week presentation, as I mentioned, there were four essentials that I talked about, just things that I use every day. Uh, the auto tool, uh, the new icon editor, quick drop, and then uh, the other one is block diagram cleanup. So that's one that I guess could be viewed a little more controversially if there was such a thing as controversial LabVIEW topics. I, for, the, for a very long time here in LabVIEW R&D, and I guess, I guess it's still that way, I, I really haven't transferred ownership of this, but I, I actually own the LabVIEW style guide that ships in the LabVIEW documentation. So uh, for many years, people knew me as the style guy. I guess now they know me as the fast programming guy. But So I've always advocated clean diagrams. Uh, unfortunately, and with my with my focus moving more towards speed, the speed of LabVIEW development in recent years, I noticed that diagram arrangement was a huge bottleneck in my programming. Uh, I, I would spend you know half of my time writing the code and then another half of my time cleaning it up, and so I decided to. Uh, I guess a little over a year ago, I decided that I was just going to use diagram cleanup for everything and see what happens. And I've observed over the past year that there are some VIs that I still naturally uh, arrange myself. Uh, those tend to be VIs that are top-level architecture type VIs, like my, my main state machine or my main uh, queued message handler. I will make sure to arrange those diagrams myself because one of the keys to understanding a top-level architecture VI like that is the arrangement of the diagram itself. I don't want diagram cleanup just going crazy on one of those VIs, so I'll, I'll still arrange those myself. I've also noticed the diagrams that have a whole lot of nesting, uh, lots of case structures uh, and loops, uh, diagram cleanup tends to explode those diagrams, so I tend to not use it on those type of diagrams as well. But the vast majority of the VIs I write fit on one screen. They are internal type 
uh, VIs that are used within the application that I'm working on. For those VIs, Block Diagram Cleanup doesn't do a perfect job, but it does a good enough job. I think it does a good enough job that the diagram is still understandable. Uh, we made some improvements in LiveView 2009 and 2010 in terms of the positioning of uh, comments on the diagram. Uh, in LiveView 8.6, all comments would just be moved off into one corner, which basically made, made the feature useless because you would document your code and then the documentation would be wiped away somewhere. In 2009 and, and 2010, the, we try to preserve that positioning. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. I think it's good enough. And also in, 2000, in 2010, um, there was a new feature added, but one which was really I really like is sort of putting comments on wires. Yes. And that goes together with the diagram cleanup very well. I think. Yes, it does. So, but yeah, uh, commenting your wires, uh, being uh, labeling nodes, I think is a good trick. Uh, if you've got a section of code that sort of revolves around a single node or a single structure, uh, assigning a label to that and using that as your dis your comment is good because that positioning will always be preserved. Uh, but ultimately, I'd say uh, in my current project that I'm working on, which has a code base of hundreds of VIs. I'd say that probably 90 to 95% of those VIs I've just used diagram cleanup on, and I, I've arranged the other ones myself. It's just a huge time saver, even if it's not perfect. I use diagram cleanup a lot too. I agree with you. It's it's good in those uh, in those scenarios. Um, I use state machines a lot, mm -hmm. and it's difficult to use it in a state machine. There are some improvements that can be done, and you know we could we could suggest some. One thing I, I it kind of annoys me is the way it bends some certain types of wires. Mm -hmm. Like let's say you're doing a bundle by name. Uh, let's say you want to put a constant somewhere and then you want to do like a bundle by name from the constant. Then it actually positions the constant way out in the middle of nowhere instead of like right next to the bundle by name, for example. It, it, try, it, it tries too strictly to preserve the left to right. And then it sacrifices sort of, and then it sort of creates a lot of bends in the wires and puts things way out in the middle of nowhere when they can just be placed like right next to the object, for example. I agree. I actually created a group on the ni.com slash community site called Diagram Cleanup Feedback. Uh, it's basically a place for us to post screenshots, before and after screenshots, and let the developers that work on that feature know about situations where diagram cleanup is making decisions that it seems like should be, you know, uh, uh, much easier to make a better decision. So I would recommend that you post, I've posted multiple screenshots on there. I'd recommend you post some of yours, maybe other uh, listeners uh, who are listening to our discussion here could go there as well. But if you just go to ni.com slash community and search for a group called diagram cleanup feedback, that's a place where we can post that type of feedback to the diagram cleanup team. Great. And, um, also in the show notes on the web, I'll, I'll put a link to that as cool. well. So yeah, those were my, my four essentials. Things that I do every day are using the auto tool, using diagram cleanup, the new icon editor, and quick drop. You, you program in LabVIEW, correct? Yes. For an, so you, do you do a lot of C development there? I have never written a text-based program in my life except for like Pascal in high school. So you're basically... Uh, you know, you're one of us. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I'm, I've, I'm one of you. I just happened to receive my paychecks from the National Instruments Corporation. So, uh, so is there? I was always curious about this. Is there sort of at an eye, sort of the uh, the LabVIEW people that you program in G, and then sort of the C people, and like, do you guys mingle? And do you, do you have lunch together, or do you have like sit in separate tables and stuff like that? <laughs> yeah. So there's uh, there. It's it's nothing like that. Uh, 
there's, I would say that in uh, live VR and D, the, there's a small number of us that do this type of G programming. I'd say the majority of people are working more on the, the source code itself. But um, that's actually one of the really, really cool things about having the job that I do is that I, as opposed to someone maybe in your position where you would need to, you know, talk to the AEs, have cars filed, um, you know, get try to get those bugs and those features implemented uh, from outside these walls, I can actually just walk over to someone's desk and, and you know, discuss with them things that I need changed. And that's one of the, one of the really just wonderful things about working where I do. Um, so, yeah, but as far as working together, mingling together, of, of course we do. I mean, there's a lot of the, the C developers in LabVIEW who actually uh, write G features as well. One, one good example would be Christina. She wrote the Getting Started window, which is all in G, but she also owns many of the, uh, the core uh, source code features as well. So that's, and then you've got situations like, um, I, I know you know about this and, and hopefully a lot of your listeners do too, but uh, Stephen Mercer and I worked together to try to get the, the community to uh, vote up the create sub VI improvements idea on the idea exchange. And uh, hopefully we're going to see something along those lines implemented in LiveView 2011. Um, but the plan that he and I have for that feature involves some changes to the LabVIEW source code to allow for um, a VI to be called to actually perform the creates a VI operation. So we've got some C work and G work going together into this one feature. So um, yeah, there's there's definitely lots of uh, intermingling and, and in the case of you know some features actually working together uh, on the both components of uh, the product so that we can get stuff implemented. When, when, when was the first time you sort of experienced LabVIEW and, and heard, either heard about it or touched it or worked with it? When was the first time that, that you did that? The very first time was in uh, undergraduate work that I did in college. I went to the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, I got a mechanical engineering degree, actually. And uh, in one of our labs, uh, we were taking some temperature measurements and uh, pressure measurements with a very, very old Mac computer that was running uh, LabVIEW 3 something or 4 something. And it was actually a pretty bad first experience just because of the... and. I don't even think it was LabVIEW's fault. They had such terrible computers in this in this lab. They're just terribly old and beat up that uh, I don't think any any software would have worked on that computer, much much less LabVIEW. I didn't really do any programming of it then, though. That was that was just using some pre-written VIs for the lab. Uh, my first experience programming was actually in my first week of employment here at National Instruments because I started as an AE, and all the AEs get LabVIEW training in their first week, so. Uh, that was my first experience. I actually, the first program I wrote, uh, there's this card game that I really like to play called Set, and I wrote a LabVIEW version of Set during LabVIEW Basics 1 training. That was my first experience, and it was LabVIEW 501 was the version that we used at the time. Well, that's that's interesting that the first program would be a game, <laughs> <laughs> considering that I, I believe you're an avid gamer. I, I do play a lot of uh, board games and card games and video games and yes, just about any game I can get my hands on. So, do, do you think that some of the some of your experience from gaming, you know, being very fast? I know you're, you're a good Guitar Hero player <laughs> um, and that type of thing. Is that kind of what influenced you to speed up your LabVIEW development as well? 
Yeah, I mean, I there's a lot of games that I like, uh, like chess, but that a lot of people are much better than me at because they can they can do that really deep critical thinking that that uh, I'm not so good at as I am the speed type games. So, and that the game I just described to you, Seth, the card game that I wrote a live version for, it's a very fast paced, speed oriented game. So, um, yeah, just over the years in live, you have noticed that. Uh, there's things that could make me program faster, thing, things that are bottlenecking me. And back in uh, LiveU 8.5, uh, I noticed that the pallets were a big bottleneck, and that's why I prototyped QuickDrop. And uh, after that, I noticed that arranging my diagram was a bottleneck, so I started using diagram cleanup. So yeah, I guess I guess it really has been the focus of my, my LiveU programming here over the past couple of years is just how fast I can get things done. Fo following the process, of course, I, I never neglect to write my specification documents or, you know, create my auto tests for my features. But, I, you know, the, the actual programming of the feature, I, I try to make, I try to find how fast I can get it done just because, you know, LiveU is such an intuitive um, uh, environment that it comes, I think you and I talked about this one time, it comes down to those those little, you know, repetitive tasks, those things that you have to do that are part of your programming that it seems like there's ways to make them faster. Um, is there something that you, that's on your mind right now that, you know, is kind of a bottleneck that you wish could be fixed or some way improved in the future? So we're working on that uh, create sub VI thing, that improvements to that. That's, that's definitely a big one. Um, you know, not much has come into mind. I've got some ideas up there. Uh, one of which is <laughs> this one isn't necessarily a lacking feature, but um, one of the one of the limits to Quick Drop is that it has to load the whole palette set, and loading the whole palette set can often take a long time. I actually have an idea up there it's for us to find a way to eliminate that initial delay for loading the palette set. Another one of my ideas, not really a speed-based idea. You, I know you guys are, are just like me. Y'all y'all will do development in multiple LiveView versions, and the fact that all the icons of all my LiveViews look exactly the same on my Windows taskbar is really annoying. So that's another one of my ideas. That's probably the one that, I, that I've submitted that has the highest number of votes is putting a little version number on the LiveView icon in the taskbar. I, I think that would just not, not necessarily speed me up, but uh, reduce my frustration when I've got four or five LiveViews running and I have to go guess which one is LiveView 2009, which one's LiveView 82. So do you do that often? Do you have like multiple LiveView versions up? So my, uh, yeah, actually I do. I mean, we LiveView 2010 came out in August. Uh, the project I'm currently working on, we didn't switch to the 2010 code base until, um, you know, a month, six weeks afterwards. So mm -hmm. I was still doing 20, 2009 development um, for that project. But then for all the little features of LiveView that I own, and, and I do own a lot of little features in LiveView, uh, you know, to fix bugs on that and stuff, I would, I would want to use the latest release version, which is 2010. So I would be using 2010 for, for those type of bug fixes and then 2009 for my main development. Uh, yes, yeah, so that, that certainly does happen. So I know you also have a, a regular feature um, somewhere on the NI.com forums which is Darren's weekly nugget. Can you explain exactly what, what that is? Yeah, so um, every Monday, hopefully, occasionally I, I don't get to it till Tuesday, but every, every Monday I just post some tip on the NI forums, just you know some little tidbit of, of information that I've come across in LiveView that I think would be helpful to users. Um, whenever there's a new LiveView release, I like to talk about new features in LiveView that I think are going to be helpful. I started doing the weekly nuggets back in 2006, 
and I did them for a whole year. And then in 2007, I sort of took a break because it's actually hard to come up with a, uh, a brand new tip to discuss uh, once a week for a whole year. <laughs> and so I did occasional nuggets in 2007, 2008. And then in 2009, I was asked to start up the weekly nuggets again. So uh, for 2009 and all of 2010, I've been doing them weekly. Uh, it looks like I have written 152 nuggets over the past, uh, I guess, four or five years. Um, and uh, yeah, the ones I've been writing lately have, have had to do with Livey 2010 features that I think are really cool. If, uh, if, the list, if any of your listeners want to see, a, see links to every single one of those 152 nuggets I've ever written, uh, all you have to do is go to ni.com slash community and search for Darren's Nuggets. And the first link that comes up is a page that has a link to every single nugget I've ever written. Cool. So uh, can you tell us, maybe pick one of those nuggets and... Sure. So one of the ones I wrote, uh, this one really surprised me. I wrote this one back in February, and uh, it is the it has the second highest rating in terms of number of kudos that it's received on the forums. It has the second highest rating of any nugget I've ever written. And uh, this is Darren's Weekly Nugget from February 8th, 2010. So on that web page I just mentioned, uh, you could just scroll down and, and click the link for that. But uh, basically, I mentioned in that nugget that there is a folder uh, under the LabVIEW directory that contains a huge collection of uh, 16 by 16 images uh, that are frequently used within uh, dialogues, like pictures of folders, uh, pictures of VIs, uh, lots of you know file icons, uh, icons for things you might see in the project window, like a little My Computer icon or a little FPGA target icon. Uh, little little images of those for those icons. There's dozens of them in this one folder, and uh, you know I just mentioned that in the nugget because I figured, well, I I use pictures that are in there every once in a while, so maybe other people want to use those too. And and I was just amazed how many people thought that was just the best tip they'd ever heard of. So that's 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 one that's kind of interesting to talk about. Okay, well I guess I just learned something too because <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. I don't follow your nuggets on a weekly basis, so I, I might have missed a few. So I, def, this is definitely one I missed. Uh, so it's showing uh, icon. Actually, these are these are used in the project as well, right? The project. Uh, yes. Dialogue? Yes. The project window uses those exact glyphs. Yeah. There's actually multiple ways to uh, sort of be notified about uh, my nuggets. Uh, one way is to. Uh, subscribe to the feed for this page itself whenever changes are made to it. A better way, I think, is that I have a, a blog on the NI community site, but all it is is links to the nuggets. So every week uh, that blog gets updated with a link uh, to the, that week's nugget. And uh, I think most people subscribe to my nuggets that way. They just set up an RSS feed for that, for that uh, blog on the NI community site. Thank you again for coming on, on the show. I think we're going to have you back in the future. Excellent. Thanks for having me. We'll have maybe a special uh, Darren's Nuggets uh, segment of the show. That sounds great. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much. And uh, it's also, uh, just before you leave, can you tell us what your blog web URL is so people can visit that? Yes. So I have a blog called LabVIEW Artisan. And on that blog, it's not really so much uh, nugget type material as it is, I guess, more abstract discussions about, uh, you know, LabVIEW features or, you know, LabVIEW sort of. Uh, musing on LabVIEW programming. It's not really any specific tips or anything. That blog is labviewartisan.blogspot.com. Well, thank you. And that's it. Thanks. Well, my friends, that's it. Another episode of the VI Shots podcast is 
in the can, as they say. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We also have a telephone number. Yes, we have a telephone number where you can leave us a voicemail. The number is 1-888-788-5778. Thank you and uh, bye for now.